So good to uh, see all of you here today. Um, If you're visiting or you've been out of town, what we've been doing uh, the last uh, month or so is a series on the book of Daniel. And uh, today we're going to tie the bow on it and we're going to look at probably uh, the most famous story in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Just for uh, a little bit of a review, uh, what we've seen is is that uh, the book of Daniel starts off in chapter 1 where King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquer the Hebrews in Judah and they bring back a group of leaders to Babylon where they try to re-enculturate them. And the leaders of that group are Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the first five stories in the book of Daniel have to do with the Hebrews trying to live faithfully for their God in the midst of Babylonian culture. Uh, Last week, as we saw, though, at the end of Daniel chapter 5, the Babylonian Empire has fallen now to the Persian Empire. And so that's where we're going to pick it up this morning in Daniel chapter 6, where the Persians, led by King Darius, are now in charge. And we'll see what that means for Daniel in this narrative. Uh, Before we look at God's word, let's uh, bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thanks for the privilege we all have to gather here today corporately as your people, your church, your body. Lord, we uh, thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness in our lives, for how you provide for us. Lord, we uh, want to honor you today in everything we say and we do. Lord, uh, we also look beyond the walls of our church today and we look to our community and we look to our country and we look around the world and we know that there are many people who uh, don't yet know you. And so we pray that the good news of the gospel would go out around the world and throughout our country, throughout this community. Once again, we do want to pray for VBS this week coming up and we pray that lots and lots and lots of kids would come and that they just have a great time and that they learn about the love of Jesus. And we do pray, as Joseph just said, for all the volunteers and all the people working behind the scenes, that this would just be a great week. Father, we also want to uh, pray for our leaders today in our country. We know that they need your wisdom, your grace, and your guidance. And so we ask that uh, you would uh, provide that for them. And Lord, we continue to pray for all the churches throughout our country and our community, that you would use them to serve and to tell the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Father, we thank you for your word because it speaks the truth to us and it encourages us and challenges us. And so this morning as we look at this story, I just pray that uh, it would be something that's uh, helpful to each of us. So now enlighten our minds and touch our hearts and point us towards yourself. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus and for our sake. Amen. A few years back, there was a commercial that was put out by the marketing department of a major insurance company. And uh, you may have seen it, maybe you didn't, but when I watched it, it really, really, really got my attention. Uh, The commercial starts out, and there's this young girl, she's probably seven or eight years old, and she's out in the middle of this field, and it's a beautiful, beautiful day. I mean, the sun's shining, and the wind is gently blowing across all the plants in this field, and she's, she's just standing there alone, looking really happy and really serene. And then, all of a sudden, the camera pans to the other side of the field. 
And out of the field on this side uh, rises up this enormous African rhinoceros. And the rhinoceros starts to gallop at full speed across the field towards the little girl. And all of a sudden on the screen come the words. As the music gets louder and louder and the rhinoceros gets closer and closer and closer to the little girl. Trust is not being afraid. And then right at the peak, right as the rhinoceros gets up to her, it stops. And she, with her big smile on her face and the sun still shining, reaches up and she begins to pet the rhinoceros on its horn. And as the music kind of fades away, the rest of the message comes up, even when you're vulnerable. Uh, Trust is not being afraid, even when you're vulnerable. Now, I don't know about you, but I I mean, I I like that message, and and I like what it's trying to communicate, and I really, really, really appreciate the fact that the insurance company is trying to promote the fact that it can protect you. It can provide for you even when you're vulnerable. And I like insurance. I mean, Melanie and I own a lot of insurance. But I'm wondering, I'm just wondering today if, if insurance can really, really do the job for us when we're vulnerable. You know, as I look around the world and I look around our culture today, you may not feel this way, but sometimes I feel pretty vulnerable. I mean, in the last couple of years, the Supreme Court's made a couple of major decisions that seem to conflict with the Judeo-Christian heritage and seem to be tightening down on the practice of religious freedom. And that makes me feel a little bit vulnerable, and I don't think insurance can really help me with that. You know, in this past year, we've had some really, really interesting political drama going on, and now we have two candidates for both the Democratic and the Republican parties coming forward, and those candidates have made a lot of people feel a little bit scared, a little bit afraid, a little bit vulnerable, and I'm not sure insurance, as good as it is, can help us out there. And then you know this, in the last month, we had that murderous rampage down in Orlando, and then we had some other American citizens killed in a couple of other cities, and then we had that horrible assassination of those five officers down there in Dallas. And then just this last week, we had another horrible event in East France where those 80 people were killed by that truck driver. And I don't know about you, but those events can kind of make us feel a little bit scared, a little bit nervous, maybe even a little bit a little bit vulnerable. And you know what I think? I think that if we took some time this morning and we started to pass the mic around the room and people really opened up and they were really open, we'd find out that some of the people in this room today are feeling pretty vulnerable. They're feeling vulnerable about health issues or job losses, challenges in the workplace, fears for their kids, maybe dealing with sick and aging parents, and maybe even in the case of some some severe financial pressures. Uh, Friends, I I think we all know this. I think you know this, and so do I. Uh, The world we live in, uh, the civilization we live in, which is the greatest civilization the world's ever seen, and it's in its golden age, even in this world, even in this civilization, the world is sinful, and it's broken, and it's filled with uncertainty. 
And that sometimes, sometimes can create a sense of anxiety and vulnerability, even in the strongest amongst us. And that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to study the scriptures on a regular basis and especially study passages like Daniel chapter 6. Now, if you grew up in church world and you went to Sunday school, and a lot of you in here did, you know that Daniel chapter 6 is the story of Daniel's miraculous deliverance from the lion's den. But I am here to tell you this morning, friends, that actually this story begins with another miracle. A squeaky clean politician. Let me show you what I mean. Let's see, am I able to move the text here? Maybe I'm not on. There we go. Thank you. Let's look at this and see. It pleased Darius, that's King Darius of the Persian Empire, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, two with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Sorry. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Well, here's Darius, and he now has this vast empire that he has to run, but it looks like there's corruption in the financial management of it. Looks like some people are skimming off the top. And so what he's doing is he's reorganizing his empire, and he decides, you know what? I've got this really great servant, and his name is Daniel, and even though he's probably in his early 80s at this point, this guy has a lot of mojo, and I'm going to make him the chief financial officer over the entire empire because I don't want people skimming off the top. And yet it's obvious here from what the text says, the lower officials don't like Daniel. They don't like the fact that he's going to be over them and he's going to hold them accountable. And so they're going to look for grounds by which they can charge him. But here's what I want us to note. There's no dirt on him. They can't find any place where he's sloughing off or holding back or messing up. There's no corruption in him. There's no negligence. He's completely trustworthy. He's the best of the best of the best as I said, even though at this point in his life, he's probably in his early 80s. Now, there are lots of people in youth-oriented American culture, especially people in their teens and their 20s, and sometimes I run into students like this, and they just don't think that it's possible for anybody over the age of 50 or 60 to have any energy or any ability whatsoever. They just don't think that. And yet the fact of the matter is, in Daniel's case, and in the case of a lot of people in our culture, even people in their 80s still have a lot of mojo. This was a number of years ago before the internet got popular, and I was sitting 
in a barber's shop waiting to get my hair cut. You know, they used to have those old newspapers there, those local newspapers. And so I picked up one of those local newspapers. I don't know if it was Westward or what it was, and I was paging through it, and I got to the end. And if you remember back in the day, they used to have tons and tons and tons of personal ads. Well, on this particular occasion, I started to scan the personal ads, and here's a few that I found that I wanted to share with you. First one said this, Travolta Stallone type guy, age 27, seeks attractive girl, 19 to 25. Why this ad? Well, so that we can meet and ride into the sunset of love on horseback. And then you mail off to a post office box. (laughs) Then there was another one that kind of got my attention. It said, don't lose hope. Good things may be imminent. If you're an attractive, intelligent, and genuinely, or ge- generally conservative female, probably in her 20s, who desires to meet an attractive, caring, professional male, age 31, then send off to this post office box. Here's the one that I like the best. Petite, 84-year-old lady. <laughs> if you enjoy RV travel, pinochle, old movies and reminiscing, buzz off. Looking for stud who still breathes fire. (laughs) The biblical author wants us to know that Daniel's in his early 80s and he's still breathing some fire, but these lower officials don't like it at all. And so they form a conspiratorial plot to destroy him. Let's see the next few verses here. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king, and they said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed Notice they leave Daniel out there, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the decree into writing. Well, Darius signs the decrees a little bit goofy here, and the conspirators now know they've got Daniel, because one thing everybody knows in the governmental administration is that Daniel is totally committed to his God. He's totally passionate about his God, and they know that he's not going to compromise that. Look at what happens here in the next couple of verses. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. That's home for him. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Notice this, just as he had done before. Then these men, the conspirators, went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for his help. See, Daniel says this, he says, you know what, you can pass any decree you want, you can pass any law you want, you can make any threat you want, but I'm going to keep on praying just like I've been doing every single day for the last 70 plus years. 
Colonel, his enemies, knew that. They spied on him. They caught him in the act of praying to Almighty God. So now look what they do. Then they said to the king, Oh, Darius, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Now notice this. Darius realizes he's been tricked here, and he loves Daniel, and he knows what's going on here. Let's see, though, what happens to him. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Well, of course. Of course. Daniel's his best guy. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king, and they said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. It was a cave down in the ground with a hole at the top. Now notice this. This is really important. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. And I want you to notice this statement so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Now, I've got to be honest with you here. I, I don't know how this part of the story impacts you, if it impacts you at all. This part of the story makes me a little bit crazy. And the reason why is it shows us how vulnerable we really are. I mean, I look at Daniel here, and he does everything right. He works really hard. He has impeccable integrity. He's the king's top aide. He's committed to helping Darius, but he's totally committed to his God. He courageously refuses to abide by the decree, and all of that gets him thrown into the lion's den. And I would suggest in a not-so-subtle warning to beware of placing too much trust in politics and political rulers. The author of this story is telling us that Darius, the most powerful man in the Persian Empire, cannot save his own best servant because it's a matter of the law of the Medes and the Persians, or as we might say in our culture today, it's a matter of law and order. Friends, I've got to be honest with you. This really, really bothers me because it doesn't fit into my little evangelical baby boomer worldview that if I just do everything right and I obey the law and I support the government and I live for Jesus I'm going to be safe and secure and invulnerable this story blows that out of the water but this is why I need to read and study the Bible and so do you because the Bible tells us the truth about life and politics And people, and most importantly, most importantly, most importantly, it tells us the absolute truth about our God. And one of the reasons I love Daniel 6 so much is because it shows us how to live for Jesus in a goofy, absurd world where sometimes we're really vulnerable. And then it goes on and it shows us why we can do that. So let's start, first of all, with how we can live for Jesus in a world like this. After Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, and he's sealed up, and as the text says, his situation can't be changed. Let's go back here, yeah, to this verse. This is the verse that that Darius speaks to Daniel right before they seal it up. He says this, the king said to Daniel, Daniel, may your God, 
whom you continually serve, rescue you. Daniel, I'm the king. I'm the greatest politician in the Persian Empire, but I can't save you. But may your God, whom you continually serve, may he rescue you. Now, here's what's interesting about this verse. The word in the original text, continually serve, is one word. And it's, it's repeated in verse 20, as we'll see. This is the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. And it's a really, really interesting word. It literally means to move in and make your home with. Darius looks at Daniel and he says, Daniel, 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 I can't save you. Can't do a darn thing for you. Wish I could, but I can't. But you're God. The God that you moved in and made your home with. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he can rescue you. Uh, Some of you here, not all of you here, but some of you here know who Vernon Grounds was. Uh, Vernon was the academic dean, president, and chancellor of Denver Seminary, the institution that I have the privilege of working for. He held all of those offices for over 60 years before he finally went to be with the Lord at the age of 96 back in 2010. Well, Vernon was always known for his impeccable integrity and his incredible degree of spiritual maturity. And this was about 20 years ago, but uh, I was in a group of people, and different students were asking Dr. Grounds, Dr. Grounds, what about this or what about this? And finally, one student says to him, Dr. Grounds, to what do you attribute your spiritual maturity? And Dr. Grounds kind of gave this standard answer. Well, you know, you need to be in the Bible, and you need to pray regularly, and you need to attend church regularly. And then he said, and circumstances. And the student said, well, what, what, what do you mean by circumstances? And then Vernon got this twinkle in his eye, which he would often do, and a little smile on his face. And he said, well, when I was 50 years old, my mother-in-law came and lived with us for the next 15 years of her life. And I'm now convinced that living in close quarters with my mother-in-law accounts for my advanced state of sanctification. (laughs) Years and years and years before, when he was an adolescent, Daniel decided, I'm going to move in with my God and make my home with him. And they spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours together. And as time went on, Daniel knew who this God is and what he's like. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he knew that God would give him the power to do that. And he knew that as time went on, because he had spent so much time with God, that regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how vulnerable he would feel, and I'm sure he did on more than just this occasion, he could always trust this God. Friends, I'm issuing this invitation to myself and to all of us here today. I want to encourage all of us in this room today to move in with Jesus and make our home with Him at a deep, deep, deep level. Now, let me be honest with you. That's going to take time. That's going to take energy. That's going to take a lot of commitment. I mean, the text tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day, every single day. That's a description. That's not a prescription. But what that shows us is this. Daniel's practicing a real principle of human life here. And the principle is this. We always, you do this and so do I and so do Daniel, we always reward what we value. We always do that. If you value your marriage, you know what you're going to do? You're going to give time and energy and attention 
to your spouse and to your marriage. If you value your family, you're going to give time and energy and attention and love to your family. If you value your health, you know what you're going to do? You're going to watch your diet. You're going to get exercise. You're going to get enough sleep. If you value your house or you value your car, you're going to give time and energy and attention to general maintenance. And friends, if we value our relationship with the God of the universe, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we will give him significant amounts of time, energy, and attention every single day. Let me tell you what's going to happen if we do that. And I want to stress, this takes time. It's not instantaneous. Over time, if we do that, we're going to be in a position like Daniel was in. And that is, we will get to know this God better and better and better. And we'll realize who he is and how much he loves us and the power that he has. And therefore, he will begin to basically bleed his character in us and through us. And what that's going to mean is over time, over time, as we spend time with this God and we get to know him on an intimate basis, we'll become better spouses, better parents, better employees, better students, better followers of his, better citizens. If we move in with and make our home with Jesus, what that means is this. Even if the culture changes around us, and it is changing, we will have the courage and the discipline and the fortitude to stand up with love and grace for what's right even in the face of pressure. Now, it's really quiet in here, and I've preached enough and taught enough to know that when it's quiet in a room like this, one of two things is happening. You're either incredibly bored... Or you're thinking. Some of you might be thinking this. You know, Scott, some of you pastors, you live in church world, or you live in seminary world too much. You know what? You, you make all this sound way too easy. You don't really know what it's like out there in the real world where it's really, really messy. You don't know my situation in the marketplace or my situation at home or the things that I'm wrestling with. You don't know what it's like to try to stand up for Jesus in challenging circumstances. Or you don't know how hard it would be for me to take a courageous stand for him in a place where I'm really vulnerable. You know what? You might be right. I don't know your situation. I don't know how challenging your circumstances are today. I have no idea how vulnerable you feel. But why I want us to look at the rest of this text is because it shows us why we want to move in with Jesus. Why we want to live with Him from this day forward for the rest of our lives. And that's, that's the rest of this story, and that's why it's so great. It shows us why we can live with courage, why we can trust our God. Let's look at the rest of the story now. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. Daniel's in the lion's den. His situation can't be changed. And he couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. Notice this. It's just a little caveat. He's surrounded by luxury. He's got everything at his disposal. And yet, the Tylenol PM or the Ambien, it ain't working because he's too, 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 too upset. And so at first light of dawn, he hadn't slept all night. 
when that sun's coming right up over the horizon, he rushes and hurries to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, who you moved in and made your home with. Daniel, 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 has, has your God, has your God, I, I couldn't help you, but has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel shouts out, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. And he shut the mouths of the lions, and they haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. He almost spoke in tongues. And gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is a genuine A1 miracle, a supernatural event. God from heaven sends down his angel into that lion's den. And he keeps them from touching Daniel, even though we know that they would have been voraciously hungry because they would have been intentionally starved. Even for what little meat they would have gotten off the bones of a skinny old guy like Daniel. The reason we know that is in verse 24. Darius orders all the conspirators and all their families, according to Persian law, thrown into the lion's pit for false accusation, and it says they're all killed before they even touch the bottom. Friends, this text shows us that our God, the God we want to move in and make our home with, He can do the miraculous. This is a picture that Melanie and I have hanging in our home, and I love this picture. This is Daniel in the lion's den. We don't see the angel. But notice, those lions are there, and they're big. And they probably were thinner because they had been starved. And Daniel is there, and in a genuine A1 miracle, because of our God, he gets a really, really good night's sleep. Darius is a wreck, and Daniel's at peace. Well, Darius sees what happened here. He was overjoyed. Daniel's God. Saved him. Darius couldn't save him, but Daniel, Daniel's God did. And so what Darius does is this. He issues a decree for everybody in the Persian Empire. I issued a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he's the living God, and he endures forever. Notice that. He's living. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Friends, our God, the God of the Bible, he can deliver his people from Egypt. He can deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He can and he did deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He can deliver you from whatever difficult circumstance you find yourself in today. See, he can do that because he's a God who loves to rescue his people. He's a God who loves to look at what looks like a lost cause, a hopeless situation, and intervene there. He can rescue us no matter how dire our situation because he's the sovereign God who loves, loves, loves to show his power and show how he can save when everything looks hopeless. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. You know this and so do I. 
That's not always true for all of God's people in all times and places, is it? God doesn't always intervene in difficult, vulnerable situations. Uh, This is a picture from a fresco of two women, Perpetua and Felicity. Uh, They were North Africans. They lived from the turn of the second century on to the third century in the Roman Empire. At the beginning of the, of the third century in the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor Septimus Severus issued a decree to basically persecute all Christians, especially if you were a leader. Uh, Perpetua was 22 years old, and she had just given birth to a little baby, and we think that she was a widow because her husband is never mentioned. Felicity, we think she was a widow as well. I think her husband may have been martyred because she was pregnant. Well, they, they put them in prison in North Africa where they lived. And the Romans were holding them there, trying to get them to deny Jesus. And Perpetua was upper class, and her father even came into the prison. And he begged her, he says, Perpetua, why are you doing this? Denounce Christ. You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing our family. She told her father, Father, I love you. I love our family. But I am a Christian. She said, Perpetua, they're going to kill you. She said, I will go to be with my Savior. And a couple of weeks later, they took them to the arena, along with six others. And they martyred them. See, our God, the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, He can deliver us. He's got the power to do that. But He doesn't always do that. And once again, this is why it's so important for you and me to know the truth of God's Word because Daniel chapter 6 implies and points to something really, really important for us. Every biblical scholar and expositor of this chapter notes that Daniel's experience here is really closely reminiscent of another man we all know really well whose name was Jesus. Uh, See, you know, we said Daniel pretty much did everything right in this chapter. Well, Jesus not only did everything right, Jesus did everything perfectly. And he was passionate about his father's will. And he was so passionate about it, he created enemies. And his enemies eventually conspired against him, just like Daniel's enemies conspired against him. And his enemies eventually got him before the Roman government. And the Roman government could have released him, but they didn't. And instead, they sent him to a Roman execution rack, just like Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. You know, on that Friday that you and I call Good Friday, the early Christians would have never called it Good Friday. They would have called it Dark Friday or Bad Friday. Awful Friday because the Savior was killed. He was crucified. And they took down his broken and dead body. And they took it and they put it in a tomb. And what's really, really interesting is Jesus' enemies come to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and they say, seal the tomb. And Pilate does, just like Darius and his nobles sealed the lion's den. Looks like nothing's changed. Lights out. Story over. Everybody ought to just go home. Just like when Daniel was down there in that lion's den. But you know the rest of this story. 
That's why we call it gospel. It's good news. Three days later, Jesus is physically resurrected from the grave. The stone is rolled back. He comes alive physically by the power of God. And the early church is born out of Jesus' resurrection. And what's really, really, really interesting is you look at the art of the early church. A lot of the art of the early church uses the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 to show Jesus rising from the dead. This is probably a picture of Daniel coming out of the lion's den. But the early Christians looked at it and they said, that's a foretaste, that's a picture of what happened to Jesus, and it's a picture of what's going to happen to us. In the very first place where resurrection from the dead is mentioned in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 12. See, friends, we can trust this God and we can live courageously for this God because this God, this God that we serve, He's able to rescue and He will resurrect us. I've got to be honest with you here today. You know, I want to live a healthy and happy life. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. I like hanging out with my wife. She's great. We have a pretty good life, we think. And I'd like that to continue for a long time. And I don't like too much stress, I'll be honest with you. And I do not like feeling vulnerable. I don't like that at all. But you know, that's not the way life always is. And that's probably not the direction our culture is headed, at least right now. And sometimes it looks like the world is spinning out of control. And here's the inescapable and uncomfortable truth. Even if I get to live out the rest of my days in relative comfort and security, you know what's going to happen? The day's going to come when I'm going to get sick and I'm going to be on my deathbed and I'm going to die. And so are you. And that's why what we need to do is put our trust in someone who can not only help us live courageously now in a good and godly way, but who has the power to overcome death. And the only person, the only person, the only person in the universe that can do that is Jesus. Look what he says. This is the resurrected and glorified Jesus speaking to those early Christians in Revelation chapter 1. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. I'm the living one. Daniel chapter 6. I was dead. I was. They, they put me in that tomb and they sealed it up and I was dead. But behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I'm resurrected and I'm glorified. And I sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm running the universe. And I hold the key of death and of Hades. That's the God that Daniel moved in and made his home with. And as a result, he could trust him even when he was most vulnerable. Friends, that's the God. That's the God. That's the God that you and I want to move in with, make our home with. Because he's the God who can rescue and he will resurrect us. A number of years ago, there were two men who were close friends. One was an artist and one was an expert at chess and they used to kind of like to hang out with each other and do things that the other one liked. And on one occasion, uh, the guy that was the artist said, let's go to the art museum. The chess guy said, okay. So they're walking through the art museum and come to a bunch of pictures. And all of a sudden, up on the wall was one picture. And it really got the chess guy's attention because the title of the picture was 
checkmate. And he started to, to look at, at the picture because one person in the picture looked like a man and the other individual in the picture looked like the devil. And it looked like according to the way the chess pieces were laid out, the devil had gotten control of the man checkmate. And the chess guy stood there and he looked at that picture and his friend said, come on, let's go, let's go. And he goes, no, 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 there's something about this picture I've got to check out here. You go on and come back later. His friend came back 30 minutes later. And the chess guy says, we've got to find the artist of this picture. And his friend says, why would we want to do that? And he says, well, because he either needs to change the picture or change the title. The guy says, what do you mean? He says, well, if you look closely at the picture, it's not checkmate. The king has one more move. Oh, you know what happened? Moses takes the Israelites out of Egypt, and it looks like they're trapped, but they're not trapped because the king had one more move. You know, David goes to face that huge, huge giant Goliath, and there's no way he's going to win. There's no way he's going to win. But the king had one more move, and he won. Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, and as the text says, his situation can't be changed. Oh, but the king had one more move. You know, they took Jesus down from the cross and they threw him in that tomb and they sealed it. Oh, but friends, 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 the king had one more move. This is the God we want to move in with and make our home with because he's the God who rescues. He's the God who rescues. And trust me, trust me, trust me on this. He always, 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 he always has one more move. Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing. Lord, today I want to rejoice in the fact that you're a living and resurrected God. Let's preach the resurrection. Teach the resurrection. Gossip the resurrection. Because we live in a culture where people need to know this life is not all there is. Thanks, Lord, for your love. Thanks for this church. May you bless it hugely. We ask this in your name. Amen.